Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And it's a great day to be alive because we are getting closer and closer to the Resurrection Sunday, celebrating Easter. And I want to invite you to Hickory Ridge Community Church on April 9th, Easter Sunday. We're doing a 7 o'clock service, an 8.30 service, and an 11 o'clock service. And then at 9.45, if you have children, bring them along. We're going to do an Easter egg hunt. So it's going to be a fun-filled Easter. And the most important thing that happens on that Sunday, we celebrate Jesus rising again from the dead. So please join us on Easter Sunday. Well, today, I want to talk to you on the subject of who is really saved and who is not, and why does it matter? This will be a two-part message, so join me today and tomorrow as we look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Well, by way of introduction, you know, ever since Darwin published The Origin of Species, scientists have been looking for what is called the missing link. That would be a transitional fossil that would seal the argument for human evolution. Well, in 1912, There was an amateur geologist and an archaeologist named Charles Dawson. And guess what he found? He found a skull that he pulled up from a gravel pit in Piltdown, England. And it seemed to conclusively fit the part. This discovery actually rocked the scientific community. Now, there were skeptics, and and they claimed the fossil was exactly what it looked like, a human skull cobbled together with an ape jaw to fool gullible scientists. And with this ensuing excitement, believers, they started shouting down the deniers. And then in December 1912, the Geological Society of London hosted a ceremony where Dawson presented his fossil, the Piltdown Man. Now the doubters continued. That was until 1917. And that's when researchers discovered another similar fossil nearby. The Piltdown faithful were thrilled. They had this new find, Piltdown number two, seemingly to legitimize Piltdown number one. But the Piltdown man's scientific legitimacy gradually began to erode over the next few decades. You see, other human skulls began popping up in China and in Africa And they each had an ape-like skull with a human jaw, just the opposite of the Piltdown combo. Well, the jig was finally up in 1953. So for 40 years, this went on. But 1953, after conducting tests on the skull, anthropologist Joseph Wiener and geologist Kenneth Oakley determined that Piltdown Man was no man at all. Rather, he was a combination of a man's skull, an orangutan's jaw, and the teeth of a chimpanzee. But what's more, the fluoridine dating showing that the bones were no more than 100,000 years old, certainly not new, but not missing link ancient, the head looked older because the hoaxes that perpetuated this had stained it with iron and chromatic acid. Well, the hoax was eventually exposed. The prankster behind the caper is still at large. Dawson uh, was the most likely candidate, but of course now he's dead and off the scene and can't be held accountable. Well, when we think about hoaxes, you know, my wife one time went to New York City. Now, this was several years ago. 
and she went to New York City, and she went with the purpose of doing some shopping. This is years ago, okay? And so she purchased a fake purse. You know those knockoff purses? You know, you can get fake watches, fake wallets, fake pieces of art. You can even get fake eyelashes. Well, fake things seem to grab our attention. Fake news and stories of fakeness are everywhere. As a matter of fact, there's even a book talking about genuine fakes. And this particular author talks about how phony things teach us about real stuff. Well, when we think about hoaxes and we think about fakes, I saw a sign one time that says, Genuine Fake Watches. You gotta love that, right? Well, when it comes to our faith, we don't want to have a fake faith. We want our faith to be genuine, based on the truth. So today, I want to talk to you about the subject of who is saved and who is not saved. We're not trying to be judgmental of anybody, but we want to be understanding of exactly what God's Word says, because we don't want to accept a cheap and a fake imitation of the real thing. And so let's read the text today, okay? We're in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse number 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, let's talk about who is not saved. And I think we have three categories that Paul alludes to in Romans chapter 10. Number one, we would have the sincere strivers. Verse number five talks about the righteousness that is by the law. And I want you to know there's two ways to get into God's heaven. You say, wait a minute, that sounds heretical. Well, there really is two ways to get to heaven. And number one, you can be perfect. That's how you get to heaven. Perfectly keep the law, never sin, be one that is no capacity within you to sin, you'll make it to heaven. Well, the only problem with that is none of us qualify. And none of us can reach that level of perfection. And even if we go a day without sinning, what are we going to do with all the sins that we did yesterday and the weeks and the months and the years prior? You see, here Paul talks about righteousness that is by the law. Those who are sincerely trying to keep the law because they honestly believe that that is the way to earn God's favor, keeping the law. Now, their intentions are good, and their intentions are pure, but they're striving to do the impossible. You see, you can't get to heaven by keeping the law because you can't keep the law. Nobody can perfectly keep the law. 
And so I hope that this is kind of a wake-up call. If you would ask somebody today, I want to encourage you to take on a challenge, right? Go up to somebody and share the gospel with them. But before you share the gospel with them, ask a question. And ask this question. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Now, I think most people are going to probably say heaven. Some people will say, I don't know. I'm not sure. But some people will say heaven. Probably most people will say heaven. And say, okay, that's great. And when you die, you think you're going to go to heaven. Can you tell me why? Why do you think you're going to heaven? And just wait. And you will basically, I would say most cases, you're going to receive a works-based answer. You're going to say, well, I'm a pretty good person. That's why I think I'm going to heaven. After all, I never murdered anybody. And I'm a pretty good person. And then you can say, well, what do you base your goodness on? Well, I keep the commandments, right? I had somebody one time tell me uh, they were going to go to heaven because they keep the Ten Commandments. I said, oh, that's great. I said, can you name them? They couldn't even name the Ten Commandments. I said, well, let me help you out just a little bit here since you can't name them. Let's just go through a couple of the commandments and see how well you measure up. You know, one of the commandments are, thou shalt not steal. I said, have you ever stolen anything? Well, of course I have. We all have stolen things, right? From ideas to things, we are guilty of stealing. I said, well, that's not too bad. One out of 10. You know, maybe you're good on the other commandments and maybe God give you a pass on that thou shalt not steal. I said, well, there's also another commandment. Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, 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 we're all guilty of telling lies. Yep, we have all told a lie, whether it be a white lie or a big old fat lie. Uh, we are by nature geared toward lying because we have a sinful nature. And so, well, well, that's not too bad. Two out of 10. Uh, you know, 80% uh, right, 20% wrong. Maybe maybe God grades on the curve and he says, I'm going to give you a pass on that one. And then, and then I said, well, there's a third commandment that we got to look at. And the third commandment that we'll look at, and we just kind of pick these out arbitrarily, is thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, the reason I like to pick that one out is because there's a lot of good moral people out there. I know a lot of people who have been faithful to their spouse, and they have not cheated on their spouse. They have not committed adultery. But you know, Jesus even weighed on that one, weighed in on that one. When he says, you know, if you look after a woman and you, uh, you look after her lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And although you may not have committed the act of adultery, in your heart you have. And, and I think uh, we're all guilty of that one, if we're honest, right? And I said, well, you know, here we are. Uh, you and I are speaking together, and I am in the company of a thief, a liar, and an adulterer. And I says, I'm not going to be too hard on you because I'm in that same category. You see, although I may be sincere, I may sincerely strive. I cannot earn righteousness. I cannot earn righteousness by the law. You know, there's a guy in the Bible by the name of Apollos. Now, Apollos was a sincere guy, but he was very sincerely wrong about an important matter. You see, Apollos loved God and he taught sincerely. And he taught powerfully, but he had an incomplete message. 
because he was sincere in his desire to teach the truth, the Lord sent somebody to him. God sent Priscilla and Aquila to instruct him. Now, once Apollos understood the complete gospel message, uh, he was even bolder than before in preaching and giving the identity he had in Christ. God was able to bless his ministry, even though Apollos didn't have it all straight at first because of his desire to teach God's word. Apollos didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only knew about the baptism of John. That was the baptism unto repentance. It is an act of confession of sin. It's an act of anticipation of the Messiah's coming. And as a likely disciple of John, Apollos would have also preached repentance in view of approaching the kingdom of God in Christ. You see, Apollos didn't fully understand the scope of the gospel. He didn't fully understand the connection between the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. In other words, though he was very bold and very fervent, Apollos only knew and preached a portion of the truth. He had not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He needed more spiritual understanding, which God supplied through sending him two mentoring Christians. So when we look at who's going to heaven and who's saved and, and who's not, those who are not saved, they are sincere strivers, but they're trying to live under the righteousness of the law, and they can't do it. It's impossible. There's a second group of people, and I call these the silent strivers. They're striving to have a relationship with the Lord, but they've never really gone public with it, I guess you could say. In verse number eight, it says that the word is near you. It doesn't say the word is in you, but we learn from what Jesus says and what Paul says. Let's look what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. And then Jesus says, don't assume that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So here Jesus is talking about those who are truly saved are not silent in striving in their faith. They are open about their faith. They are confessing that they know Christ by denying him. You know, you can deny Christ by not saying anything at all. We do the same thing when it comes to matters of telling the truth. You don't have to just lie by speaking a statement that is not true. Sometimes we lie by not saying anything at all. When a lie is propagated by somebody else and we just go along with it and don't say anything about it, then we are actually propagating a lie. And here Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. There's a third type of people that are not saved. The first one is those who are the sincere strivers. They are the moral people trying to live under the moral law, trying to be righteous by keeping the Ten Commandments, and they fall short. And then there's those who are the silent strivers. Those are the kind of people who say, I kind of keep my faith to myself, right? It's a personal matter. I was walking down the boulevard at St. Bride's Correctional Center, and I got talking to an officer, and he says, Chaplain, there's two things I don't discuss. Religion and politics. I said, what do you mean you don't discuss those things? Those are the most two important things in your life. 
What your faith is all about and what you believe about politics is based upon your faith. And buddy, he didn't want to talk about it. So I now have a standing joke with this individual as I see him in the, in the boulevard. He says, we're not talking about politics. We're not talking about religion. And I kind of have a standing joke with this officer. He's a wonderful guy. And I'm starting to see that uh, maybe he's not really going to avoid that subject too much longer, right? But there's a third type of people that will not be saved, that are not going to be in heaven. And those are the shameful ones. Or I guess we could say the shameless strivers. Anyone who believes in him, verse number 10, verse number 11 rather, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. You know, that word translated as shamed means disgraced or personally humiliated. In other words, a person ashamed in this way is like somebody being singled out because they really messed up and they really embarrassed themselves. You know, if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to worry about being ashamed. Isaiah is what Paul is quoting here. Isaiah says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious stone. Paul is quoting this here in Romans 9, 33, talking about a precious stone that causes people to stumble, that rock of offense. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show that depicts access to heaven on a point system. It was an NBC show called The Good Place. It's actually a humorous depiction of life after death. And the creator of this sitcom, Michael Shore, said it's based on the idea of an omniscient point system. Like we're all playing a video game that we don't know that we're playing. And somebody's keeping score. And then the top highest scores, the top 10 highest scores out of every 10,000 people gets rewarded. So in this particular, one particular episode in which this show kind of follows after, shows the death of a character by the name of Eleanor Shellstrop. And she finds herself in this very small minority of the world's best people there in the good place. And now there's just one problem. She doesn't belong there. She was actually a pretty awful person. So when Michael Shore, the architect of the good place, finds out that she is there by mistake, he gives her a questionnaire to determine her worthiness. Now get the questions that he asked. Number one, did you commit murder? Number two, did you commit arson? Number three, this is a, this is a humorous one. Hey, did you take your shoes and socks off on the airplane? Number four, did you ever have a vanity license plate? Oh, this next one's really good, right? Did you ever reheat fish in an office microwave? Or the next one, have you ever cared about The Bachelor or any of its attendant spinoffs? Well, Michael lets Eleanor know that they're going to watch some highlights from her life. As Michael tries to determine if she is good enough to stay in the good place, Eleanor says, it doesn't make me look great, so don't judge me, to which Michael replies, that's literally the purpose of this entire exercise. And how many people fall into the same category of this show, The Good Place? 
we were thinking that we are going to be allowed into heaven just because we're pretty good people. And that God bases our life on a point system. And if we make enough points, then we will be the select few that will be rewarded with heaven. There's only one problem with that. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, about 500 years ago, there was this event called the Reformation. And during the Reformation, it was really kind of led by Martin Luther, who was uh, studying the scriptures and, and learned that there was a lot of things that he was taught with his religious upbringing that were contrary toward the Word of God, especially on matters of salvation. And so the Protestant Reformation kind of revolves around five central truths. And although he had 95 theses, Luther did, that he nailed on the castle door at Wittenberg, they can be summarized by five points. And basically, it's the belief that Jesus has done it all. You see, you're either going to trust what you can do, or you're going to trust what Christ has already done. So the Reformers came up with these five points that we are so blessed that we follow these points even 500 years later. Number one is that we're saved by grace alone. It's only because of the riches of God given to us through Christ that we have everlasting life. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. All of our faith is in Christ, in Christ alone, okay? Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. You know, the Bible is very clear. By grace you have been saved, through faith. And it is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of Christ, given to us, so that we will not boast. Glory to God and God alone. In Romans chapter 16, it says, But now God has been revealed and made through the prophetic writings by the command of the internal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. So who's going to be in heaven? Those who are of their faith alone in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift received by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we quote that verse. I just quoted a part of it just a moment ago. But that's not the only verse that talks about the fact that we are saved by faith alone. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith. That is faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one is justified. You see, we just can't keep the works of the law. We will fail miserably. All of our faith must be put into Christ, put on Christ. Those who are going to be in heaven are trusting through faith alone in Christ alone, and that is the gift of salvation. It's given exclusively through Jesus Christ by calling on His name alone. Well, I want to invite you to join me tomorrow as we finish up this subject of who is saved and who is not saved. If I can help you, if I can pray for you, if you have any questions, 
about what the Bible says about salvation. Would you shoot me a text message or give me a call? 252-267-2365. And I hope to see you on Easter Resurrection Sunday, April 9th, 7, 8.30 or 11. We'd love to have you worship with us. So excited to let you know God is moving mightily at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We've seen lots of people added to our church through baptism and, and salvation. And so good to see God moving. So God wants you to be connected with a church family. Now, if you don't feel led to be part of Hickory Ridge Community Church, that's great, okay? I'm okay with that. But I want you to be connected with a church family. It's time to go worship with other believers together. It's time to be a blessing to your pastor, be a blessing to your community. Listen, those who attend church are a blessing to their community. I think about all the families that are blessed because of Little Hickorage Community Church and with the daycare that we have and the school that we have. What a wonderful opportunity to bless our community. We also bless our community by having a wonderful ministry called Celebrate Recovery. If you're looking for a church that has Celebrate Recovery, come on out to Hickory Ridge Community Church on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.